Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. In today's episode, we will be talking to Kevin Lee, Executive Director and Vice President for Visa. We talk about what is an insight, how it transcends the borders of a specific department or a specific skill set. But mostly we talk about what it means to be human in an organization working with insight and each other to drive business success. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, Kevin. Hello, how are you? Good, good to have you here tonight in my end of the world and good morning in yours. Yes, indeed. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Kevin, I'm just going to go right into it and um, ask you to speak a bit to your career path up to the moment that you are right now. How did you get to where you are right now and what's your particular journey with the topic of insight and innovation? Yeah, so um, I started my uh, career way back, um, uh, but the, I've been all in the corporate um, sort of uh, environment uh, all, uh, all of my career. So. I started out as the uh, after school studying human computer interaction uh, at Carnegie Mellon. I went on to uh, a big company called the uh, GE Healthcare uh, and spent quite a few years there to designing and uh, you know launching um, some of the products uh, in the healthcare sectors. Uh, and then went on to the uh, uh, Warhol uh, Corporation, which is one of the largest uh, appliance uh, manufacturing companies. And also uh, designing and launching uh, many of those uh, appliances that you are probably using today at home. Um, and then they uh, went on to uh, the west coast of the uh, United States, uh, where I spent a few years at eBay and PayPal, uh, working on commerce sector, uh, which really was fun, where you're bridging between the human psychology of sellers and buyers. And so it's not just about enabling them to exchange goods with the money, but it's about understanding their uh, what they think and how they think and how they even perceive mm -hmm. uh, many things around the commerce. Um, and then I spent uh, just a brief moment at Samsung in somewhat covert operation, uh, building and launching uh, some of the first wearables uh, in the marketplace um, many years ago. And then uh, went on to Visa now, spending the last four years not only building a digital design team for a company, but also uh, really use the design as an insight as a way to uh, transform the culture, but also uh, uh, really serving our you know, uh, clients and customers around the world. So that has been my journey so far. And quite a journey it has been. <laughs> From this wide experience, how would you define an insight and what would you say the main purpose of an insight is? Yeah, so, so my, from my experiences, insight is something that, uh, not to be mistakenly, think of it as an observation or observation or research, uh, meaning that it's not necessarily what you see or what you hear, but it's often what is actually uh, under that you know, stated statement or the, the exhibited behaviors of someone um, that you happen to observe. And I think that's a very... Um, uh, requires very specialized skill set. Uh, it's not something that uh, uh, anybody can do because it takes an unbiased approach to, mm. you know, what, what humans are actually doing or saying or uh, expressing. And so I think to me that's a very much uh, fundamental but yet very strategic 
a capability uh, that especially nowadays when all things are connected and all and everyone knows pretty much everything that what happens around the world you don't have to be in that location to know but that's where the danger they do the observation through media for example mm-hmm. but and they will start to also add their colorful you know background experiences to draw a insight speculative insight or opinions and I think that's where uh, a danger of uh, falling into a you know the whether conceiving an idea or a, a coming up with idea that are not grounded uh, as to what actually needs to be there so I think that's a, to me insight is is that's how I would like to define mm-hmm. um, and then you know I think that the how is being used or the how needs to be used in my view is again is a corporate side is you know, there's often a theoretical piece of still insight or practice around insight, and there's a practicality aspects of insight. And I think to me, um, you know, of course, as a corporate, you know, many of the corporations are looking for ways to get more lean, agile, um, and also be more impactful with things that you have. And I think that that's uh, to me uh, have seen and have experienced uh, from from doing it myself um, uh, or other research or researchers. To really understand how that insight can truly you know, deliver a very much meaningful business results that actually changes not only the uh, direction of the, uh, the products and services, but also it changes the culture of how people think about what you know product innovation may means mm-hmm. to them. So that's kind of what I would say. What has been a process that you would, looking back, you would look at it and say this would be a process that that has a lot of. Uh, positives in getting to a good insight and tangibilizing it? Yeah, um, that's a really great question. And I don't think there's a one way to do it. But from my experience, you know, I tend to first try to um, put a creative constraint. And that sounds quite contradiction to what most of us think about what is required to do a proper insight work. But I, again, I, I put it back myself, if we were to live in 1990s with a no internet, uh, no mobile phone, smartphone, then that may be the case. But nowadays, there are a lot of information, as, as a matter of fact, more overflowing information than ever before. And so, but there are some legitimate information flowing around uh, through the internet and the whatnot. So to me, it's really about putting out uh, what I call a creative constraint around whether time or space or, um, you know, the, the requirement um, that really enable uh, people who actually practice insights uh, or insight discovery to really be more creative uh, versus be a more complacent with the traditional or typical process, uh, whether that means that uh, it will take minimum X weeks to do this or it will take, you know, X, Y, Z, uh, tools to do it and we don't have those tools or we don't have those people mm-hmm. rather thinking about that thinking about all right I got the constraint what can I do best with that constraint and I think that's the one that I, I found to be very effective um, and uh, sometimes even more um, helpful in terms of uh, connecting the dots. second part is like when I say connecting the dots I'm talking about the inside ought to be better impacting the business results. I and mean, that's why we are doing it, mm-hmm. um, in, especially in the corporate world. And the, the, those insights that doesn't go anywhere is, it's not absolute failure, but it is something that uh, is ineffective. And we have to be honest about understanding why. And what I found often is that we often end, or I use the word snap, um, delivering insights. 
um, and then the hoping and wishing that someone will champion it and someone will carry that torch to the finish line. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then that's where that, again, traditional model works, handover or handoff. But in the world where I see, you know, digitally connected, we need to make sure that those who drive the insight uh, need to think about from a commercial landscape perspective. And I think that's a really uh, important skill set that um, especially those who actually works in the space of insight needs to acquire. Mm. Just like, uh, you know, current today, the product managers or someone who goes to MBA program, they all acquire a, some sort of a design thinking, right, a muscle before they get out of school. So I look at that as the same thing. Uh, what I mean by that is that the commercial insight is something that every corporation care about. At the end of the day, they want to see thanks for great input, thanks for great insight, thanks for great information, but so what? What, what do I need to do to with it? And I think if we can able to help connecting the dots, make sure that this insight is actually informing uh, certain you know, um, KPIs or certain um, you know, the transformation that we could have, whether it's as simple as a comprehension level uh, to an actual product reconstruction, um, that really helps people to understand the value of you know, insight that come from a human mm-hmm. uh, and then how they connect to, the, again, this bottom line. Thank you. And you were mentioning also earlier about a person that needs to be able to have that unbiased way of looking at the world and curiosity and asking questions uh, and be able to look at the reality differently um, and at the same time to be able to understand the reality of the business and to tangibilize this in a, in a practical what's next. What type of formation would you see that generates that type of person or it's more of a personality rather than than an actual training? Uh, that's a great question, too. Uh, you have all the great questions. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think that it has a two parts. One is, uh, let me start with the easy one. I think it starts with uh, the personality of the person who carries this uh, responsibility of research or the insights. Um, but more specifically, the personality I'm talking about here isn't about introvert versus extrovert, but it's about someone who thinks bigger than the insights. Uh, meaning that, you know, we often fall into our bubbles, right? Um, if you're designers, design is the center of the gravity of your life. Uh, if you're an insight person, the insight is the center of the gravity of your life. That's how you think about it. That's your anchor. That's your orientation. And it's not to say it's wrong, but this is where, again, to make a greater impact, this personality has to be uh, embodies something that much greater than the insight itself. So the insight does not become a center of gravity, but it becomes a catalyst. It becomes a uh, enabling part of the rest of the parts that needs to be factored, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, from a process standpoint or approach perspective, you know, it, again, I'm, I'm a little bit of a uh, rebel in this space, but I think that, you know, often we uh, try to separate insight meaning as a qualitative to a quantitative. Uh, as if those are two things never meant to be mixed, like a water and oil, um, which is where I really beg to differ. Uh, it is actually often the case where this, someone who bears this insight to practice must embrace the quantitative analysis or quantitative data, um, and then value equally, if not sometimes more, uh, about what comes back from that quantitative data, and then being able to um, leverage that as a way to either uh, pragmatically validates the insight that you start to discovering as you go real time or 
uh, uh, you know, refute, uh, as sometimes it happens. Uh, but I think that's the where I see one pragmatic way that embracing um, a different uh, uh, approach that will still get a level of insight. But I think the big mistake and then as an approach is that the practitioner is someone who insists the insight and human insight can only observe through observations and then none of their approaches are false or not as effective is to me is a false promise um, uh, especially again in the age where we live in very connected very um, confluence world of you know our lifestyle uh, it's really mistake to think that that you need to observe someone and because for example I always um, talk about this example where you know you you kind of have this observation and then you go out and you watch people and oftentimes um, again going back to human psychology we often do that because we don't know or we wanted to suspend our own disbelief or belief about something right preconceived notion which is somewhat right motivation right intent but what's not there is okay that's pure intent but let's also play forward and let's say if you do meet this person in this let's say indigenous environment of something you've never been to or you've been to but you want to make sure that you don't bias you know your view if I were that person uh, or on my team I would encourage them to say hey do some quick desktop research do some quick quantitative analysis if you can or if you have access to those tools and then see what is the hypothesis that you like to actually mm-hmm. um, think that you were going to verify. Meaning that I think doing some pre-work, um, not necessarily as a change of plan, but as a, a one that you can reassure you that you what you're about to do is meaningful and impactful. We've been discussing in the, in the show a lot about the idea of multidisciplinarity and intersectionality when it comes to composition of teams. Would you say that something like that would help nudge people into kind of embracing other practices and seeing the value of other practices uh, in their own work? Absolutely. I mean, I, that's uh, almost prerequisite for any type of inside discovery work. I think uh, there's, uh, however, uh, one thing that uh, we need to be a little bit careful. I've seen many times, and myself as a uh, early days of my career, you know, led a few of those, uh, you know, the insight uh, projects back in, you know, GE. It's often uh, we think, okay, you know, for example, product manager or a, a specialist, you need to go, you need to go with me, and then, um, and then let's let's discover this together, let's hear things together, let's see these things together. Um, I think it's not to say it's wrong. But again, being pragmatic perspective, we need to make sure that if, you know, I think, I think having a multidisciplinary is a, not necessarily always being collocated. And I think that's another uh, mistake. Um, sometimes being multidisciplinary means that you are ready to embrace different point of view. Because a product person who are about to engage in this activity, whether remotely or in the same place that you are in, is definitely going to you know, filter things from his or her lens. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you're going to do about it. And the specialist or you know, marketing or designers, definitely. Um, so I think what I see as a multidisciplinary team isn't necessarily you have to be co-located doing this work, but rather you need to willing to now embrace very contradictory, if not very different different point of views that coming from your other multidisciplinary teams and as someone who is championing insight, how are you going to uh, integrate their 
points of view because their points of view are also sometimes a accurate or if not uh, uh, a good source of uh, um, uh, criteria that we need to consider. So I think I think that's kind of what I would like to define that the multidimensional is absolutely prerequisite, but it doesn't mean that uh, it has to be physically located and doing this together every day, uh, but rather virtually and also from a more of a uh, thinking perspective. Yeah, that's what. I would so the inside person needs to somehow have this integrative role and to be able to put all the pieces of the puzzle together and then deliver something that fits uh, to the needs of the business, right? Yeah, absolutely. Rather yes. than relying on the other functions to come in and um, do this kind of um, assimilation on their own. Right, because you know, inside is, you, know, you asked the first question earlier, but mm-hmm. you know, it's really the enabling, right? Yeah. It's, it's not about informing, I mean, informing, I mean, we can play with the words, but yes. it's really about enabling mm-hmm. someone else to act in accordance of what humans are actually needing. And I think that depending on business model, if you're a B2B or B2C, uh, of course, that nuance of how to translate that human insight into, let's say, enterprise level, right, offerings, um, so that the enterprise entity can actually deliver things to end consumer, right, or in short, we call it B2B2C model, mm-hmm. uh, it's definitely different from, you know, those companies who sit at the, you know, intersection of, you know, me offering the service directly to my consumer. But the essence of it is, is really about there are always um, an intermediary yeah. function for the team and then the inside team needs to make sure that they are equipped with the right information so they can do their job better. Yeah, and it also more often than not assumes that you are kind of researching two things at the same time, right? You're trying to understand the perspective of the people um, and at the same time you're trying to understand how the business can use that to advance. Absolutely. And then if I just make one more thing, you just give me a good um, <laughs> reason to uh, share this one. Um, you know how often we, we, we talk about um, human-centered design or mm-hmm. user-centered design, right? Um, sometimes too much cliché, but if you really think about human-centered design, for example, what that means is that when you turn that around to a human-centered, a human, not as a consumers, but as an, a, another employee, mm-hmm. we often are really, really bad in practicing human-centered design. Um, and I think sometimes I always try to encourage everyone to think about, hey, we're so good at doing a human-centered design our world, you know, like, to the consumers, yeah. to the end users, we're mm-hmm. so good at it, but we're so lousy at practicing that to our employees, our colleagues, our mm-hmm. stakeholders. And why is it that? Why are we being contradicting? And I think it's because we tend to try to um, uh, educate. We try to tend to use that insight as to educate them, mm-hmm. um, and then, and versus try to help them, try to enable them. And I think I think there's a fine line between those semantics, but. I think uh, if we truly uh, use insight as enabling, it means that we're really now practicing human-centered design to those stakeholders yeah. that who may be, for example, you know, one organization may have a very mature design thinking you know, experiences. Well, for them, you have to tailor your insights. Whereas if you're dealing with an engineering function who just never heard about design thinking, for example, or a valuable insight, then you also need to tailor. So that what I mean is that by doing the human-centered design internally as an inside function, I think you could be able to better yeah. impact 
by calibrating either how you say it, the same thing, or how you deliver or how you mm-hmm. package your insight. I really like this because, you know, so much of, um, of, the, of the type of work that is needed to, to drive this human-centered design um, perspectives inside an organization has to do with the, where does the person that has the insight sit inside that organizational structure uh, and how do they look at their own role inside that organization, right? So it's a kind yeah. of a, a, a filter. When you go out there as a researcher and you're observing people or you're, you're, you're digging, let's say, for that insight, you have a special condition of power that not always you have the same one inside the organization. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and your role inside the organization when you come back, if you put yourself in the position of an informant where you have to just give information, then you're also putting yourself in a position of inferior power in that structure. Yeah, and it, and the way you define you define your role inside that team inside that company, it's so much connected to how the company structurally designs your role inside of it. Absolutely, yeah, and I think uh, you know, if I may, <laughs> I think that it's attributed by our ego that we have, and because this 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 this, this space of what we do uh, as a profession, uh, designing for human experience. Uh, and there are many different, I call it designers, designers such as anthropologists, you know, user researcher, um, and, you know, two a designers and user experience designers, right, uh, communication designer. There's so many people who are bringing their different skill set to essentially try to design the, you know, most ideal, uh, you, you know, the human experience for the targeted um, the, the, the segment. But I think uh, that's where sometimes we often put our ego professional ego, because we've done this so many years, we know, um, versus uh, uh, the, the humbleness aspects that, you know what, um, I may not know everything about what I'm about to do, uh, and then I usually think of the ask about people to, are you willing to unlearn everything you know about mm-hmm. what you know? Uh, because when you start willing to do that, that's where you really start to discover uh, the, some of the key insights that you are not able to see because you are so close to it. And until you start unlearn everything or forced to unlearn, then you start to see things right in front of you that actually you've been missing for years. And I think I've seen that firsthand from my own experiences that often the solutions or the, often the insight that you're really, really looking for isn't anything on, you know, far away. It's actually right in front of you, especially in the connected world. Um, because that's something that sometimes we don't value enough because it's too easy to access mm-hmm. uh, and that must be uh, uh, cheap or that must be uh, less credible. But in fact, the, again, connected world give you that type of benefit unless you, uh, and as long as you know how to uh, use it uh, in, in, in such a constructive way. And I think sometimes ego is in the way for us to not practice human-centered design internal, within the company or organization. Number two, we think that anything that we can easily attainable um, feels less credible, therefore let's go hard way, let's go out somewhere. And I think uh, as soon as we kind of judge, you know, juggle that and then play that levers carefully, I think we're going to be making a huge strive in terms of making a fundamental business impact uh, pretty much everything that we do. And I think that's the, where the, I hope that we see very soon uh, throughout the uh, many different companies and the communities. Mm-hmm. 
I was wondering if you have any advice, you know, for, uh, I think that this topic of ego, you're, you're spot on. Um, I was just wondering that it's so difficult to do that. When I moved from the corporate space into the anthropology space, I had to unlearn uh, a lot of things. And primarily, I had to let go of my own ego uh, that had become really big with, with my fast rise in, in my business career. How, what advice would you give to people like that? People that are in the career space and they yeah. are in this accelerated path and they are people that are intelligent and they see the results of their intelligence paying off. And with yeah. that ca coming, this acceleration of ego, how would you adv advise them of some practical tips on how to kind of tune it down somehow, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's a, one of the favorite questions of all time for me. Uh, because not only is it controversial in terms of how you talk about it, but also it, it's, a, it's a very uh, much needed all right, mm -hmm. conversation that yeah. hasn't happened yet. Um, so let me put it this way. You know, uh, I always use this term, uh, unless you experience the experience, don't talk about it, right? Um, now, you can interpret that as a two different way. One is, yeah, there you go, Kevin. Yeah, definitely. Let's go out and meet the users and see them in actions. We are experiencing it, so now I can talk about it. Like for example, you know, um, I this is not a good example, but you know, people always talk about the the uh, the future of the car, right? Because we hear so many things about you know car sharing. Not only that, the you know autonomous cars, right? Uh, Elon Musk sending the car <laughs> to the Mars, right? So we hear all this. And then we make a, a very much uh, you know, opinionated statement. Um, the problem is, is that those who never worked in automobile industry, what it takes to actually build a car, mm -hmm. the car that seemingly feels like a still 20 years behind of your own expectation, right? Um, I think that's what I meant by actually experience to experience. Meaning that You know, in the world where we live in, whether, uh, you know, social media platform or the, uh, the commerce, whether online, offline, uh, or retail, or anything that we actually surround ourselves with, there's a, something called that someone has to make a painstaking effort to do in such a way that actually you can enjoy uh, parts of those services or the experiences that you think you deserve to have as consumers, right? Mm -hmm. Now... What we often lacking is what amount of effort needs to go in, what other considerations beyond, this, beyond the insight um, that requires just to make that product and services go live so that we can actually use it and, and hopefully find joy in using it, right? Um, and so I think that's kind of what I'm trying to say is that experience experience, meaning that if you haven't launched the products and services, it sounds quite, um, you know, um, assertive, but, uh, you know, I think I speak from my experience, unless you know how to sh design and shift a product, doesn't matter hardware, software, you know, uh, service, anything that goes into the hands of uh, another human being, then you really don't have all the necessary knowledge to qualify For example, that insight um, and how that insight is actually valid. Uh, for example, I give you one quick example. In the world of um, platform, where the platform is a king, right? Right now, there are many companies who are doing really well, and many others are trying to get into the platform business, so that uh, you can offer your platform that where everyone else can plug into or consume your services um, for the sake of 
the easiness of access or the uh, convenience of access or, or whatever that may be, ubiquity of that uh, access, wherever you are, with what kind of device you use uh, to consume the content or the services. Um, you know, there are fundamental um, sort of influences that these companies have to deal with. Uh, these companies have to deal with, not just from a consumer perspective, you know, uh, we definitely have to look at it. That's absolutely critical. But the thing is, I always say, you know, doesn't matter. You're still looking at one consumer, one persona. There's only one Kevin Lee, right, in the world, not the same name with a bunch of other people, but I'm talking about persona. There's only me. I'm a uniquely, you know, made, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the day I was born, and then the, the, all the environments in life that I've been conditioned to become and to grow into the someone that I am today, right? Um, so when everybody else try to attack me in terms of, okay, hey, Kevin, here's what you need, and another company say, here's what you need, um, you can sometimes get puzzled by how come everyone try to, you know, um, approach me very differently or as if they know me. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that, you know, before we ask that question, whether accuracy of that targeted, you know, insight, we have to ask ourselves, what does a company requires, or what do they need to maneuver, or what they need to navigate around just to get to me with, you know, these products and services that may or may not work for me. And when we understand and have an empathy, this is a key word, empathy, for what actually happens in any given company with the regulatory requirements, uh, it could be some union level, uh, uh, you know, the stickling points that you have to navigate with, it may be pricing, um, the battle, they internally have to be negotiated with, uh, say, retailers, it could be retail distribution channel issue, and there's so many things that we as a uh, practitioner just don't care to know, as if you can just build something, you know, fantastically well based on the insight, and everyone should love it, because after all, we are going to the human, human that was based off on the insight that you have gathered. What the 99% failure of that connection is, we fail to understand or appreciate or have empathy for what actually has to happen yeah. before, from the question mark to the uh, you know explanation mark, uh, and and fail to understand that that whole entire experience of the process is where uh, same insight could perceive to be super unnecessarily useful uh, to something yeah. that makes some impact that enable, let's say, developer who struggle um, to defend, for example, um, his or her point of view of what needs to happen for the human, but being told uh, to, uh, you know, build a code and ship it uh, because time is essence. Um, and, and that's the level of a conversation that never happens uh, with someone who holds the inside. So I think, so to me, that's a, my long answer to the question is, is we really need to experience. Now, if we don't have a chance to experience that, it's okay. You just need to find someone who actually experienced the experience of shipping and service and proper services, and then ask them how he actually takes the insight to get in that deep, deep, deep into the organization yeah. level. Um, not just you know educating them. Again, education is not no longer differentiator. It's about you know really enabling someone who actually holds the key of building and shipping the product. And those aren't always executive. Those are one who's at the you know, working level, you know, uh, perhaps most disconnected with everything else. But we need to really help those people to be empowered 
uh, by having this type of relevant information because those are the ones who make the decision at the end of the day, those who create the code, those who create the user experience, mm. those who need to follow the requirement, and they make compromises. Uh, without the compromises, there's no mm. way that any they can ship the products. And for us to informing what compromise can make and what compromise you cannot make, I think that is first step in making insight to be very valuable uh, in all levels of organization. Yeah. What does this mean to to the structure of the of an organization? Because to a certain extent, you're speaking as if you know a company could have the opportunity to become so self-aware of itself, almost like a living organism. A lot of organizations that um, that I've been um, also a part of, but also seeing here around in New Zealand, are actually going the opposite that w- um, direction. They're they're going more into silos. They're going more into, you know, being efficient, but within your own field of discipline. And there, there is a few um, attempts to kind of incorporate teal or to look into structures that kind of uh, break down the walls between disciplines and departments and, and generate that sense of um, uh, interdependence and self-awareness. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, another great question you know, the structure of the organization, um, you know, in any given company is something topic of anyone that should never talk about because of the, you know, there are a lot of uh, inside of story as how. But what I would translate though is, it's about the reason that there's a lot of silos or what is seemingly be a lot of silos or disconnection is because there's a sense of a competition that uh, we somehow promoted mm-hmm. through unintended consequences of uh, saying things the way that we didn't mean to or the promoting things that, uh, you know, wasn't supposed to be. Uh, and uh, where does insight come in says Now, insight is basically information. Now, information is something that is not entitled, but it's something that's given. It's a matter of who can discover in such a way that make it very well use of that information. There's information from users, information from non-users or the machine or why there are many different sources of information and source of information is there. Uh, the way that I can, the way that I would answer this question is this. We, we as human, uh, as an employee, we have nurtured this silo environment because we try not to value someone else's information. Simple. That's the starting point of uh, being disconnection, disconnected. Uh, that's the point of where we start to compete. Uh, that's the point of where we start to uh, uh, judging for other sources of information to be less credible uh, because whether it didn't follow a proper inside discovery process or maybe it was done through someone who we consider you know, not qualified. Whatever those may be, we start to devalue someone else's information because you did not do or collect those information. And I think that's the, uh, one of the reasons that what I said earlier about ego mm-hmm. and really doing yes. the human design, if we as a true practitioner really embrace the concept, concept that we champions in every words and the action that we do, then we have to first acknowledge and accept the information that come from other organization as a legitimate, highly valued, highly credible source of insight. Our job is to take that because once you take that, what happens is suddenly the, there's no more wall, there's no more, um, you know, keep a distance from those guys who seem to be specialized something, but they're out to uh, lecture us, they're out to uh, educate us versus, oh my God, you like my information? 
Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, okay. Here it is. Um, and then what happens is it's human, right? Mm. When you actually saying thank you for information or thank you for whatever you are giving me, what you tend to do as a noble human being is you start to pay more attention to what you need to say to them. You tend to uh, ask for any anything else you need from me because yeah. you really said you value what value. I have. Yeah. And you, what you end up doing is really promoting each other's uh, by acknowledging the strength that everyone has, not necessarily the weakness or development area. And I think that's where the uh, the true the uh, <coughs> the uh, innovation, right, in terms yeah. of uh, uh, how this insight or someone who champions insight can model the way yeah. by embracing first what appear obviously seemingly this credible source. No, there is something credible inside of it because you know how often the insight has been presented in such a way that, um, you know, kind of blessing in disguise, right? It's like there is insight. It's just been put it in a way that you just can readily see it. Yes. Um, and, but sometimes uh, let's call it a presentation skill, <laughs> sometimes uh, or organization skill, whatever that may be, but there is always source of truth there. Mm-hmm. I think the so if we do that, I think that's the first gesture that uh, lower the barrier or remove the barrier. And that alone, um, uh, cultivates the culture of sharing, uh, openness, um, and acknowledging each other's uh, strength. Um, this is what I said before. You know, um, you know when I you know been asked to speak uh, in many different events and conferences, um, I nowadays it's been a couple years already, but I've been always asked the first question at the very first beginning of my speak is I always ask, how many of you consider yourself as a designer, right? And then you can see a few hands going up. Right, especially if it's not a design conference, right? Mm-hmm. Um, makes sense. And then I always ask the second question: How many of you consider design thinkers? And to to your surprise or to your speculation, more hands mm-hmm. going up, if not all hands going up. And I always use it as a my you know traditional statement around good, because now you are just signed up to be accountable for the success and failure of a human, right, or the users, right, and customers, right. Because design thinkers, it's not an exclusive title that's given to a designers who actually knows how to build mock-ups or build the finished products. Design thinkers is really about thinking from a consumer perspective, whether you're engineering background, whether marketing background, legal background, you know, whatever those are, you are always constantly thinking about it. Therefore, you are equally accountable. Yeah. And even though it's seemingly very uh, mundane statement, it's very powerful because that's the where you were born with a natural ability to think for human. That's who we are as a human being. We're not an AI robot, right? We are not a, uh, a machine language. Um, we are the human who think freely, who also have a emotions. Well, Kevin, I just have to say this is very unexpected. Uh, I would I wouldn't have imagined a conversation starting with insight to lead into ego and organizational culture, and ultimately, like, how do we value each other's humanity and points of view? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, you know, my my summation of this is that you know whether it's the anthropologist or the someone who does for a living as a researcher, you know digging into the inside around the human, mm-hmm. uh, another human being, um, we got to start from the fact that it's not about profession, it's not about discipline, it's not about the degree that you have. Uh, that's where sometimes we often caught up. Um, but I think we have to start from the fact that we are human, and human has emotions, 
and emotion does not lie, right? Emotions are universal language, um, and and I think that's how we should start. Um, when people do hear things, they get upset. Um, they hear things that are um, you know depressing them. They're frowning face. I mean, there are so many the universal languages that it does not require a PhD in design or psychology or whatnot mm-hmm. to 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 understand that. But it's what it takes is it takes a true a a you know empathy and uh, yeah. really try to seek to understand um, that attitude and the behavior is the precursor to anything else that we need to do. And I think that's where we need to go back to the basics. What I call the uh, basics and fundamentals of what we've been taught uh, way, way back in what I call the in-education system, but we have forgotten or we have changed over the course of our profession because we start to being equipped ourselves with other, uh, you know, circumstantial things that uh, seemingly make us more successful or seemingly make us more uh, impactful in a short term. Yeah. Uh, and we start to trading what is really more important as a foundational work and we start packaging ourselves with those other circumstantial things, which is not to say it's wrong, but you know, since we're talking about how do we make sure that insight becomes more, you know, connecting tissue in everything that we do, every organization, every company, I think that's where we need to look at the, you know, who are we as a human? That thought. That is an awesome spot to end this um, conversation um, on. Kevin, it has been such an amazing pleasure. And, you know, it's 10 o'clock in New Zealand right now, but I would talk to you for another hour if I could. <laughs> I appreciate you having me today. It's really so, awesome. Yeah, thank you so much and have a nice day. All right, you too. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.